We'll try that again. Uh, episode 239, I think this is. This is our first one of 2024, isn't it? It is. Well, Happy New Year. Yeah. Happy New Year. We're, uh, it's snowed here, so it's just chaos. But, um, you know, we've already got two. Was West Ham this year? It was, wasn't it? Two it was, games yeah, under our belt. Looking. Yeah, we've got a couple of games to talk about. Lots of going on. Uh, we've got transfer news, we've got injury discussions, we've got two games to talk about, substitute teachers are in, it's going to be all hell breaks loose in the classroom, um, so here we are. Robin, how's it going? It's going all right. I'm not as ill as I was last week, so that's a main, it's a main positive. It's a bonus. It's a bit of a bonus, um, but yeah, enjoyable start to the year so far. Yeah, and I know we'll we'll kind of break down and, and go into each game independently as much as we always try and do, but invariably we end up uh, confusing the two, mixing them up, talking about them at the same time. Um, but very different flavours of games. Um, the West Ham one was weird, and I don't know how you feel about this, but when, when Josh and I spoke about this game, because he was there, right? I think it was his birthday. He was there for yeah. West Ham, and he was in attendance for Stokes. It's kind of annoying. He's not here, really. Um, he was he was happy with the West Ham game. He was happy with how it, it worked out. Um, what, what did you think of it? I, in the run-up to it, I'd have bitten your hand off for a point because they had gone to Arsenal and basically handed them their backside fairly comfortably at the Emirates Um, and have generally been looking pretty good. They've gone slightly under the radar this season. Um, So pre-game, I would have taken a point. However, it is one of those games where you feel like, it's not two points dropped, but I feel slightly frustrated that we didn't win, which is remarkable when you consider that we were going into that game thinking, what on earth is our back four going to look like? As it turned out, we had a semblance of quite a good back four with Webster suddenly um, sort of emerging. Lazarus Webster. Yeah. And, you know, Esther Pinion managing to drag himself through 90 minutes again. So, yeah. I mean, I think on balance, a point away from home against an in-form team in the Premier League is not to be sniffed at. But if you look at the match stats, which I've just brought up, we had nearly 70% possession. I mean, it was basically an away... I mean, West Ham were playing like an away team. We had nearly 70% of possession, 22 shots compared to their six, and nearly 1,100 touches compared to their 550. Um, and, you know, it's a standard... Ariola has had an amazing... We've come up against this a couple of times with James Trafford seemingly turning into an amazing goalkeeper overnight. And then Ariola being the same. Um, we did all but score. So I can I'm I'm with Josh really. I'm sort of I'm quite relaxed about it. Because it, it became almost comedic. I mean, Pascal Gross, his header that went straight at the goalkeeper, it's sort of like either side of it's a goal, but you know. Ferguson had a couple of good chances, Welbeck had a couple of good chances, Hinchelwood had a couple of good chances, Lalana nearly scored, Milner nearly scored. So it wasn't like we just weren't creating chances. It's one of those frustrating games where we just couldn't quite convert them. Uh, you know, we take a point and we move on and we take a clean sheet, obviously, which is a bonus. Yeah. I, my perspective on this is I hated everything about it. I hated this game. 
I hated it. I wasn't happy. I wasn't happy during the game. I wasn't happy with the result. Um, and, I, and I feel very, very, I was furious about it um, because I, I despise that style of football that West Ham play. I think it's absolutely pathetic. Um, I have some self-respect. You are playing at home. You've just gone through to the Europa League knockout rounds. Yeah, you got a couple of injuries, but for the most part, spent quite a lot of money on that team that you trotted out. You've still got players like James Wood-Prowse and Alvarez and Fornals and all these kind of players that are fairly established. Yeah, your back line's a little bit weird, but again, West Ham can't moan about injuries when you know we the position that we were in and that we somehow managed to put together a team, as you say, that that was actually far better than than what we thought we were going to be able to put out with the exception of the substitutes bench where, you know, four, three, four of the players were players that were, you know, as we said before, sort of football manager regens and uh, Mamou Dahoud, who Roberto Deserve has basically come out and said he's not getting a look in at the moment because he's not trying. So the thought that you come out of home as West Ham Europa League knockout and you play like that against an Injury-destroyed Brighton and Hove Albion after you've gone and beaten Arsenal. Pathetic. Absolutely pathetic. Um, you reeled off a bunch of stats, but they had six shots. Yeah. We had 22 shots. We had an XG of 2.38 to their 0.68. They did not want to play football. They didn't choose to play football. They just like, you know what? David Moyes, I don't care. We're just going to sit back. Um, it was. I mean, especially the last half an hour. It was basically, it was attack versus defence for the last 30, 35 minutes. The last what, half an hour was an absolute joke. It was bizarre because every time they won the ball, it would basically be hoofed up to Bowen and Bowen was literally on his own. And so he would inevitably lose the ball, shrug his shoulders and, you know, the cycle would begin again. Yeah. Well, it was I... like they were defending. The way it was, it was like they were defending a one-nil like a one-goal lead yes like they forgot they hadn't scored yeah and they were like right we need to just batten this down and it's like it was really bizarre very bizarre um but say we did everything but but score i think it's it's i i I, honestly i think it's absolutely craven to play like that and i this is why you see the west ham fans get frustrated with david moyes right they come out and they're doing well they're sixth in the league um They've pulled off some amazing results. Uh, but you play football like that, and the fa- the fans booed at full time. They're home fans, a lot of them. Because why wouldn't you? Why would you pay to go and see that crap? Like, you sit there and watch your home team just, just sit back, 10 men behind the ball. Like, come on. I, I, yeah, anyway, I, I could probably moan about this for about two hours but i just thought it was so so bland for them to do that it was it was dreadful from them um, um frustrating we couldn't break them down as you say like the, we there were a lot of chances like you don't very uh, good chances depending on how you feel about xg 2.38 you know uh, we, sh- we should have scored i mean we should i mean milner's milner's little chip ball over the top for gross just before half time was delightful and i said very, it yeah and it was just i think it's one of those it's i say it's i think it's difficult because you're obviously very conscious about not getting too much on the ball, but it's just unfortunate. You know, either way it goes in. Um, 
I say Ferguson, the one that stands out, and Ferguson had a really good chance, not really good chance, he created a really good chance when he came on that just went just past. So, I mean, we had plenty of chances, um, but, you know, we take the positives that Webster played, what, 75 minutes, something like that, 75, 80 minutes he played before he got cramp, um, and looked all right, considering he's not played for ages. Esther Pinion looked good, um, you know, no real other injury concerns. Hinchelwood continues to look great you know we move on yeah but and, and that was I, I know again we're we will talk about stoke here but um and i in fact miller didn't even play any minutes against stoke but i tell you what the game what what was the game right at the end of the at end of december that we played who was that against why am i blanking on it right now what the we uh, won it's spurs yeah, and that was the game where Milner played exceptionally well, right? Yeah. If I remember rightly, played very well against West Ham as well. For the most part, you mentioned that ball that he put in. Um, it's nice to see that. Like we we talked a lot about Milner last time around, but it's nice to see that he suddenly seems like it's maybe something's clicked. Maybe it's positionally the fact that we're playing him. Look, now Estupinian's come back. Milner doesn't have to try and be a a left like, back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And every, like this is this is the guy we thought we were getting. Um, yeah. And that's a big boon for us. It's, he's an important player for for this for the remainder of this season. Now we're in January. Hundred percent. I think didn't he match in our second joint second, isn't he in Premier League all time appearances? Yeah, it's nuts. It's just it? behind what is it? Only Giggs in front of him. I think he's drawn level with Gareth Barry now. So I think it's only Ryan Giggs that's in front of him. I mean, he did make his debut in about nineteen ninety eight. But seemingly so um, yeah he's just he's just an ever-present individual in the in the premier league what's and obviously it's going to be very interesting when we invariably sign um uh, henderson from al yeah, etapak yeah, and reunite yeah. the sort of <laughs> the aged yeah, former the one, liverpool englishman yeah yeah uh yeah we'll see about that it's weird that his um LGBTQ equality quest in the Middle East hasn't worked out that well and he's just realised it's a bit too hot and Steven Gerrard's a shit manager and he wants to come home now. It's bizarre, no. isn't it? It is really bizarre. I mean, none of that could have been predicted at all. No, no, I feel bad for him. I feel, I really do feel for him. Um, Steven makes a really good point. Obviously, the the, um, uh, the 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 big thing that came out of this game, we've got a bloody clean sheet, um, which I think that's where Josh derived his happiness from. And we finally did that. We finally did it. Um, I don't know about you, but even with everything that we've done and the fact that West Ham didn't have a look in for basically the entirety of the second half, I just assumed that we were going to concede because we have no reason not to. I mean, Steele made a really good save towards the end of the first half, didn't he? When West Ham basically decided they'd play football for about 30 seconds. Yeah, it was an interesting 30 seconds, yeah. Was it Ward Prowse had the shot? Sounds right. Inevitable, I thought this was going to go in. But no, it was to get the clean sheet. I think we were the only team in the top four divisions without a clean sheet. Yeah, not great. Which wasn't ideal. So I think it is important to get that off the back. So it's because like, if you're not going to win, then, you know, at least we we grind out a, we grind out a nil-nil. Um, uh, let's, let's have a brief interlude for our favourite um, topic that we, that we love to chat about. And I'm sure everyone loves to listen about this as well. A little bit of um, officiating discussion for this one. Do you remember the handball shout? Someone was out on the right wing. I can't remember who it even was now at this point. Um, And I want to say 
it was maybe it was Emerson Power. I, I can't remember the West Ham defender. Oh yeah, was this for the one? It was a very similar penalty to what was given against Dunk. Well, the ball come in for it comes in for a cross. The defender is sliding on the ground, and his and his arm is trailing him. behind him. His arm is trailing behind him, and it hits him on his arm. Um. Yeah, Alex. Yeah, we nearly did go talk about Naylor, who was you know very ecstatic about Stokes' goals yesterday until until they got battered in the end. But yeah, uh, the ball hit the guy's arm, um, and apparently VAR checked this, and they decided that his arm was just in a a reasonable place. It's which... sort of how he's fallen, isn't it? But it sort of depends on whether he's fallen in a, in a way that he knows if he falls like that, he's going to be able to block the ball. But make well, he's, him... he's spread his body out. You can't... Yeah. It, yeah, sure, it's a trailing arm, but, like, you're... Well, if, if that's the rule, then you may as well just slide at any point with your arm stretched out to your back because you're just covering more space and you know it's not going to be a penalty because apparently you it can hit your arm as long as it's sort of attached to your body unless you're a Brighton player and you're playing Stoke and the ball bounces off your head or chest and your arm and your arms just attached yeah. to your body like an appendage like it typically is and then that's a handball why is that a handball for Stoke and the West Ham one which is more egregious to me because you could argue it's basically intentional the way he did it how the hell does that work the short answer is as we've talked a few times no one actually knows what the handball rule is <laughs> least of all the refs that is genuinely it because you talk about like commentators when you when you see any game and you listen to any commentators where there's a vaguely controversial handball moment the two things they always say is is the arm in an unnatural position and then they always go is the arm away from the body and you go have you tried like obviously i haven't played professional football but i'd imagine that if you're trying to defend a corner in a physical you know, one-on-one with someone, it's quite difficult to jump with your arms right beside your body. I think we should just put everyone in handcuffs. It's just like... But I, I genuinely think that they've they've made so many changes to the handball rule that they don't actually know what it is now. Because I know that it's sort of... And no. it's refereed differently depending on whether you're an attacker or a defender. Like, they apply a different... There seems to be a different rule applied as in you can accidentally seemingly you can accidentally handle the ball as an attacker when you're trying to score a goal and that won't be given as a handball but if you do the same thing as a defender it will be given as a penalty i i, I just I, you're like, right i don't i just don't think anyone no one knows, knows what the rule is i, I that, well, obviously with the fa cup we did we don't have um we don't oh. have vr right uh so, but even if we did I think because he gave it, it would have probably still been given yeah, because probably. it's not like you can't be like, well, no, it didn't hit his arm. It did hit his arm. But how else could it have ever happened? Like you can't... What, what is it, what's he meant to do? Stand like this with his hands I mean, over not, covering his chest? Yeah, it, like he's going down he, a water slide. Yeah, he's not... Mo- I mean, he's, he's obviously headed the ball and it's hit his arm almost in the same motion. It's not like he's changed the position of his... It's not like... He's changed the position of his arm after he's headed the ball to try and block it. I, I the way I think it's almost like handball has got to be. If a player 
if their arm is clearly in a ridiculously unnatural position where you've gone, okay, they are trying to they are trying to just get in the way of this with the hand, or they have actually kind of made a conscious movement of their arm towards the ball. Mm. Like it can't just be, as you said, your arm is where your arm naturally is and it's ended up hitting your hand. Like for me, handball has got to be it's more of a it's more of a positive action that you've got to take for it to be handball. Not just well, it's also I don't, Duncan didn't really gain an advantage from that happening, did he? Like, whereas you could argue no. the West Ham defender blocked it. Well, and you couldn't argue he literally blocked a cross coming in because it hit yeah. his arm. So it's like, well, okay. Uh, anyway, we could probably it's mental. No one knows up, the rules. No one knows the rules. It's stupid. Um, I know we've now, as we said we would do, we've gone off piste and started to combine the games, but it, it sort of made sense yeah. there. And we will, you know, we don't need to go into this now, but the. The referee for that FA Cup game yesterday against Stoke. What? Who was it again? Because he was crap. Um, let me look it up because I've erased. I've, it was Paul Tierney. Oh yeah, a- absolute crap. Um, but yeah, what a surprise. Um, overall That's thoughts West on the Ham, West Ham game? Like, yeah, I think. I mean, largely happy. We got a new, you know, we got a clean sheet. We got the clean sheet. Norm was injured. More people came back from injury. You know, on we go. I, the, I think the main thing that I, again, outside of the fact that Moyes is a football terrorist um, and I think he should be outlawed, the, the bigger frustration for me was the fact that I think if we would have won that game, we would have gone sixth above West Ham. Uh, we would have, right? Yes, so they would have done. dropped down. We have a slightly yeah. better goal difference. We would have gone above. And that's the thing that really frustrated me because... For all intents and purposes, we we deserve to be above those clowns anyway. But it's whatever. We we still you know went away for the FA Cup break and this and it sounds like the squad are going to Dubai as well after now after Stoke. So we head into this sort of mini break that we have seventh in the league, uh, seventh in the league. Understanding the fact that we've basically had the vast majority of the team are on a treatment table, uh, it's fairly remarkable. So yeah. despite the silliness of the West Ham game. Still an amazing achievement. I think even if you take European football out of the equation, which has obviously been a big drag on fitness and minutes. Gigantic. Just look at Newcastle. You take that out, to be in seventh, even if we were not involved in Europe, would still be a staggering achievement with this, with the injuries we've got. Well, let me add one more thing as well. I think what makes it even more compelling is the fact that two sides above us, West Ham, we embarrassed them. We just we just embarrassed them. Despite the fact that we didn't walk away with a win, their fans booed their team at home. They were crazy. Yeah, yeah, they were they were an abomination, yeah. And the game before that, we battered Spurs 4-2. Yeah. They're the two sides directly above us before you um before you start Del well, delving into the Champions League spot. So you could argue fifth potentially can be a Champions League spot as well. That's the yeah. level that this team is at, despite the fact that half the squ- the half the squad is injured, which is yeah, nuts. But- it's, it is mental. It's unbelievable. Um, let's move on. I, I will add one thing uh, very quickly because apparently in the last 20 minutes or so, allegedly, and we say this because there's so much BS that goes around on the internet, isn't there? Um, allegedly, that the club have made a, a new and improved bid for Valentin Barco. If you've not been tracking this, he's the young lad. Uh, from Boca Juniors, who seemingly plays everywhere on the whole, the whole left side of the pitch. Um, seems very skillful, very young, 
looks like he should be an Alexis McAllister mould in the fact that he's there has to be some Scottish blood in there, um, given the fact that he is as ginger as they come. And I don't think I've really ever seen that in, in, a, in a South American. Um, apparently, the bid is around 10.5-ish million. I don't know why it's in US dollars, but there we are, with a 10% sell-on clause. Now, this is a bit weird because we've tried to do some funky thing where the guy's got a release clause and we've basically said, we're not going to do it where we do the release clause. We're instead going to try and properly negotiate with you, offer you a fee, you accept the fee, uh, and then we move on. Um, It seems like Brighton are trying to do it, whereby, because as far as I'm aware, when you've got a release clause for a player, you just pay, you're paying that fee, you're paying that lump sum. Now, obviously, for Brighton, the, the general trend that everyone wants to do is they want to amortize those payments over a set period of time. So negotiating with the club, Brighton can go to Boca and basically say, look, we can go in and we can pay you the 10 million directly to the you know Argentinian Football Association, whatever it is, and we'll, we, we get the player. You can't have any say in it. But how about we do this? How about we pay you 10.5 million, but we're going to stagger some payments. We're going to give you a sell-on clause. We're going to give you a friendly next year or something like that. We'll make the deal better for everyone involved. Do you want that? We tried that a couple of days ago and they said no. <laughs> so it sounds <laughs> like we've gone and tried to do that again. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a weird dance we're doing that, you know, we'll end up getting him, which is fine. And, you know, I'm, I'm surprised they haven't gone for it because if you look at, if you look at, you know, McAllister, you look at Caicedo, Surely, as a South American club, see so. Yeah, and so the benefit is that that sell-on clause, even at ten percent. If you look at our, if you look at our, our our achievements in terms of getting a price, you know why wouldn't you take it? Um, well, by the way, I'm know, fairly shocked about that. If that is true, that and by the way, we I don't know if this is true. Um, it just seems a bit bizarre. Why? Um, why would the club offer that? Because in some ways, you. you that it feels like the team would the club would go well that's more valuable we may as well just pay the lump sum yeah i think part of it is they obviously want to have they want to have good relations with these big south american clubs especially a team like boca yeah and i think you don't want to be the you know it's suddenly not you know it's well it's a lot easier to do business with when the next wonder kid comes along if they think oh actually you know we can get a fat sell-on clause involved in here like you say we could march in and pay the 10 million whatever it is and off we go but you know it leaves a bit of a not sour taste in the mouth but it's it's kind of doesn't really leave room for building a relationship does it and we know tony bloom likes to be kind of very canny in his his dealings no um, and we we have to do that right because the 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 very 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 top tier clubs like the, the barcelona and real madrid are signing south american players you know basically so they start to be at a walk um yeah. And they step in there and they just, they own that whole patch, basically. So we have to be a little bit more, I don't know, uh, relationship focused in, in that part of the world to be able to get what we need. And and going back to the Caicedo thing, apparently the relationship and the work that we'd done there and the way that we did that deal was the reason we got him. And, and one of the reasons Man United, shocker, screwed the whole thing up. They didn't even know what agent to speak to. They were messing things around. So there's there's value to this. There is value to this. Definitely. And I think, obviously, we loaned we loaned uh, Boca Alexis McAllister for a bit, didn't we? Yeah. So there's yeah, obviously, correct. which is, so we've obviously kind of opened the, we've obviously opened the door there and we've probably gone, look, you know, 
this is a long-term relationship going on here. Let's do it sensibly. Um, yeah. But I say you don't know what a you know you don't know as you say in South America the role of agents and intermediaries and third parties are you know it's so difficult to get to that I'd imagine we're just trying to do it in the best way possible. But ultimately, if it comes down to it, you know we'll probably pay the the ten million quid and off we go. Yeah, if they start messing around too much, we're just going to pull the trigger, aren't we? Yeah. Let's 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 get back to um, the current selection of players that we have, and let's talk about Stoke a little bit. Um, we're recording on Sunday, so this game was yesterday. This, what did you think? Uh, well, firstly, well, let's talk about the team. This was Jakob Moda's first start in a oh, a long time, nearly um, two years. I'd have thought coming up for, and that was wonderful to see. It's, it was. It's been a hell of a long time, um, and he lasted a fair amount of time, didn't he? Like he he stayed on for. 58 minutes an hour yeah it's not bad it's really not that bad at all um and then outside of that i i still remain impressed as to how we are putting out sides that that look as good as they are given that the sheer volume of injuries that we have we were basically playing a three at the back for the most part i know it interchanged and we changed it up based on possession and not but we had purvis duncan van hecker van hecker continues despite his own goal to be very, very, very good in in, in this season. Uh, remarkably so. Uh, Hinshelwood, Gross, Gilmore, Moda, Jao uh, Pedro, Evan Ferguson, and and Buena Notte. Um, this was a. I was fairly surprised by this because I think we discussed last time around that we we're probably maybe going to bring on some of the the younger players, give some of the the other guys a rest, and and let this one. Do as it will. Clearly, Deserby looked at the calendar and went, "Well, we're not going to play now for another little bit of while. Let's just lob out the big boys and see what happens." Yeah, I mean, it's a it is a competition that we realistically can go very far in. So it seems it seems churlish to chuck it away. I think it will depend on who we draw next time. But you know, it was a very strong team, and I think he's he's obviously he keeps talking about going out in the semi final last year. He's mentioned mm. it like the last few weeks. He clearly wants to win something. I mean, who doesn't? Um, but it will be very interesting to see what happens if we keep going in the FA Cup, if we're still in the FA Cup by like the quarter final stage, which is kind of beginning of March, I think, beginning sort of mid, early to mid March, I think, mm. the quarter final. So if you're still in the FA Cup at the quarter final stage and still in the Europa League, like that will be that will be more interesting when he's got a clash there. I mean, he, hopefully he'll have everyone back fit, but it will be interesting to see what would what he would do. Well, I think for me, at least for the FA Cup, the, the and we're not sure when this changes or what round. I can't remember. I just don't want to replay. I just don't want to add another fixture, given everything that you just talked about there. So, like, if if we're drawing against a team next time around and we've got this we're still in the Europa League we're still fighting for European place in the Premier League just get just score an own goal right at the end just get us out can't be bothered with it um because invariably you're going to get to the semi-final or the final and face Man City anyway um so <laughs> that's yeah. the era of inevitability about it but you know you get a nice day out of Wembley if you get that far so there is that um that would be nice again so uh, obviously Stoke they can Schumacher's been doing very well with them um, and they, I think they've won a few on the trot uh, under his under his leadership. I was 
fairly surprised by them in the first half and fairly shocked by how pathetic we were for basically the vast majority of the first half, um, pretty much up until Estupinian decided to... Is it becoming a trademark of his now? We're just blasting an absolute weldy? I mean, yeah. I mean, two in two in a couple of weeks. It's uh, it's approaching trademark territory, isn't it? Uh, incredible. But before that, we were absolutely pathetic. We were. We were. I mean, I was surprised. I mean, it's quite interesting, the comparison. Obviously, we had Stoke. Did we play Stoke in the fourth round or fifth round last year? Fourth round? Not sure. What, definitely not the third round. Some some stage of competition last year. Mm. If you compare them last year's Stoke to this year's Stoke, you say it's night and day. Like they were really positive in attack. I thought they were very, very good generally. The lad, I think, from South Korea looked really dangerous. Key Jana Hover or something? Yeah. Um but they looked really good. Oh no, by Jin Ho. Yeah, I don't know what I don't know whether we just were part of us was expecting just to turn up and just think it's Stoke will be fine. Um, whether or not it's just a general bit of, you know, a bit of fatigue, whatever it was. But yeah, we were, we were looking decidedly poor um, for a lot of that game. Certainly a lot well, of the first half. You know what? I don't like how uh, new managers are coming in and changing what is um, basically now our, our own, memories over the last few years of how certain sides play football. No, no. I, I don't like now that Stoke are playing expensive. I don't like that last year Burnley were a fairly open, attacking, aggressive football club under company. No, no. Uh, it, it doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel right. I want them to sit deep, get Rory the lap back in, long throws, do nothing else. It's that Peter Crouch just scoring headers. Yeah, Yeah. it doesn't feel right that they're trying to actually play football. Yeah, Uh, The irony that Stoke are playing football and West Ham aren't is, 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 you know, not lost. But no, they were impressive. And, you know, obviously the the Jampel Van Hecker, despite how excellent he's been, got a bit unlucky when they put the ball in. I don't blame Van Hecker there. I blame the fact that we let them run down the wing, build up play and lob the ball in the box to begin with. I mean, he was there exactly. I mean, positioning wise, he was exactly where you'd want him to be when a cross comes in. Just inexplicably forgot how his legs worked for about five seconds. Yeah. <laughs> just looking at it, just got himself in a proper tangle. Um, you know, it happens. Yeah, it was uh, it was a bit unfortunate, but they were, despite the fact that we had 71% possession in the first half of that game, they had more shots on target than we did. We had, yeah. more, we had a bunch of shots, but they had three shots on target. Um, and bunch of offsides that they were pushing up, uh, yeah. and, and, and that was impressive given that they thought, you know what, we're going to come out and we're going to do something here. We continue to be a side that oh God, I feel like we've said this so many times. We just do not get out of the blocks in the first half. And and it's funny watching Deserby during the first half of pretty much every game, especially that normally the first like 20 minutes of a game is just loses his bloody mind because I don't know what happens where they just come out with this lethargy, this sort of don't care. And you either get to the end of the first half or straight out in the second half. And it's a different team. It's a completely different team that comes out. And it's just like, oh, hold on. Where have we been hiding this like incredible one-touch passing, fantastic move team after you've basically just been fannying around with the ball for 40 minutes? Like, what? Why is this occurring? 
it's very frustrating. I find it it's so frustrating to watch as a fan. So what does Zerbi must think? Because he must be like, he must make reference to it. In fact, kind of like, come on, like, we need a quick start, etc. And everyone's like, yeah, fine, whatever. But it's bizarre because, you know, like, everyone talks, all the players talk in kind of reverential tones about Deserby, you know, about, rightly so, given what mm. he's achieved. But this seems like, like it seems bizarre. Like, they've, like, I don't know. It, you know what it is? It, it became, it's similar to that where we were going through that really worrying stage where, where we conceded one goal, we basically then conceded the second one almost immediately. Yes. It seems quite similar to that in that we've got ourselves into a bit of a run of it. Um, and luckily, it hasn't really cost us too much in terms of actual material results recently. But it is really frustrating because it's sort of similar you know i remember going through a phase under i think under, like it's a graham potter phase where it's almost like we had to go a goal behind before you yeah, to get him to wake up. up yeah to suddenly like start to play and it's I, kind I, of it's sort of like that and it's really bizarre i'm shocked we have it hasn't cost us more um because you know even looking back on the last few games you know i remember this being a consistent problem but I'm surprised that we haven't then suffered in a, in a more drastic way about it. It's um, that the, when we do come out and start playing football, it's the it's the football that you want to see. It's, it's that deserved DNA that you start to see. So it's, it's maybe like, maybe it it's on the other team. Is it lulling teams in? Like you just think they 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 kind of thinking, oh, actually, Brighton aren't on it today, and they'll just suddenly become a bit more expansive, a bit more expansive, leave small gaps, and then suddenly they go, okay, fine. It's almost like you've laid the trap. Yeah, well, there was there's some conversations going around about, and, and the commentary over here. Maybe we, I'm not sure if you're listening to it on. Uh, we got the same feed on the FA Cup game. They were talking about how like had have have Bright have Deserby's tactics been found out a little bit because everyone knows that we're trying to bait the press, but also at the same time not bait the press too much. Uh, and, and they referenced the Arsenal game as what Arsenal want to do is press the hell out of you. Um, and we almost want you to press, but not too much. Like you press us too much, it, it kind of sometimes crumbles. And that's where you get those big mistakes. And for Bruggen's like passing to the, the the number nine on the other team. Press us a bit, then we'll carve you open. And it's almost like those sides can come out and it looks like we're being dominated because they've come out and they've been told by their manager, press the hell out of them. You're going to stop them from playing the game they want to play. Do that like crazy. We can we'll get an early goal. That means that their whole game plan falls away. And I wonder then if sides try and do that, if we weathered the storm, they start to just tire themselves out. Uh, and that's where we start to get comfortable and we start to get more of that possession-based football come along and it and it plays more into our into our, our game plan. I don't know. It's just a thought, but it, it feels like we've seen a lot of that. And a lot of these other sides come out and try and absolutely destroy us very, very quickly. And if it works. It's bad news for us. And if it doesn't, it plays into us. Um, yeah. Some suggestions it's from the chat. To watch. It's fascinating to, you know, it's certainly not boring football. Stephen is suggesting a 20-minute warm-up game in the stadium car park. Um, James is suggesting the reserves kick off. Uh, yeah, this, it may, maybe just they play a little bit of um, five-a-side just before. Uh, see if we can get that, to, get that to change. But outside of that, outside of the first half, um, you know, 
the Estupinian goal changed the complexion of the game. Yeah. And then second half, yeah, yeah, they had the the penalty or whatnot. But outside of that, we we just mullered them. Yeah, we did. Let's talk about Jar Pedro. Oh, I mean, my favourite moment, which is probably the one you're referring to, I didn't watch it at the time, but I've since watched a rerun of the whole game. His the absolute merc. little back heel. Yeah. Where he's just yeah. like create i mean that is if that and i think it was then headed i think the cross was then headed over or like headed the keeper or something but like if that goes in like he has just created something from absolutely nothing the beauty of it is when i was looking at it it's like i reckon he could have squeezed a cross in without going through all of that but just the outrageous just like the balls to just go right i'm just gonna but like just take them on well just for, for the people that are listening that aren't Picking up on what we're putting down here, this was, I think it was in the first half of the game, Gerard Pedro was out on the far side of the pitch yeah. on his own um, and there was two Stoke defenders coming in to basically get the ball off him. And he has no passing options on and he just basically sort of back heels it and then spins and gets away from both of them. Yeah. And it was superb. Yeah, I mean, he's he's just turning into a magnificent player. I mean, there was also the moment in the first half where he's in the he's in the stoke box kind of twisting and turning and manages to float a ball to the back post that Buonanotte just... I think it's so close to the post that Buonanotte doesn't really want to headbutt the post to head it Oh, in. that was when Buonanotte just like... Looked, it was he, bizarre. I've watched yeah. it a couple of times and I can't Didn't Didn't move towards the ball. Yeah, but he's in such a tight space. Chao Pedro um, a couple of times and manages to, I mean, his close control is ridiculous. We saw it for the Spurs. Crazy. It is crazy. Um, so yeah, he was, he was magnificent and obviously came up with, came up with a couple of goals when, when we needed it. The header was brilliant. I think. That's not a first time for those power headers that he just no. rises up in the middle of the, the opposition box and just blasts it in. Times is run perfectly as well. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it was just an absolute menace. It was just everywhere, as you'd expect. It was brilliant. Again, I mean, I was looking at the stats. It's like 15 goals, I think, in all competitions now. Well, yeah, if you haven't seen these tweets go out, only three players have scored 15-plus goals for Premier League sides across all competitions this season. Number one, Erling Haaland on 19. Number two, Mohamed Salah on 18. Number three, Jao Pedro on 15, uh, which, of course, all of the other... Um, Half wits from other clubs talk about how forty percent of his goals have uh, only forty percent of the goals have been from open play. So it's a lot of penalties. Um, to which you know, I think we're all fairly familiar with the fact that a penalty is absolutely not a given. And another point that I saw made by someone is the fact that he's earned a lot of those penalties himself. He's a very smart oh, yeah, player yeah. in the box, um, and and he deserves every goal he gets, whether it's from the spot or whether it's from somewhere else. Um, absolutely, absolutely outstanding player and when we've talked about it's funny right because when we signed him even the Watford fans who talked about how he's you know been one of their better players in recent memory uh outstanding talent young guy no one ever really talked about him as a number nine and we don't play him as a number nine uh apart from very rare situations where we we you know Welbeck's been injured Ferguson's been out whatever but the fact he's managed to get this many goals playing as one of the prongs on this front three trident is amazing. 
like we've talked for so long about when are we going to get that 15 goal a season, 20 goal a season, number nine. Well, not only yeah, yeah. We, we'll go on to Ferguson, but not only do you have one, he doesn't even play in the number nine. I know. He just scores from anywhere. I know. And I was reading in terms of, I mean, Glenn Murray got 15 goals in 2018, 2019. I mean, we're only, what, halfway through the season, plenty of games to go. Brighton's t- record for a top flight was Michael Robinson got 22 goals in 1980-81. So you'll be fairly confident that he's going to get eight more goals this year, this season. I I mean, how many penalties are we going to get? You just class it from that, couldn't you? <laughs> I mean, it's great that we're going to get at least eight more penalties anyway, but it's remarkable. I mean, we were in fairly early days. We were going, is £30 million going to turn out to be a bargain? And I think it already is a bargain. Uh, I don't think there's any doubt about that already. Uh, there's already silly rumours about the quote-unquote top-tier sides having a look at him, which, you know, I, obviously we we talked before, I think you mentioned Newcastle wanted him. Yeah, I mean, it was um, all, but, all but signing a contract. And uh, I'm very glad we ended up with him. The Deserby had a funny quote after the game about Xiao Pedro. Talked about I how the- that was there was there was like I said in the chat. There's honesty and there's honesty, isn't there? And this is like this is too honest. To I love it. He didn't know who he was before he signed. No, but by the way, I'll tell you why this was so so great to hear. Is everyone on the internet? And Valentin Barco is a really good example of this. None of you people listening to this podcast, with the odd exception of maybe maybe one or two of you, literally one or two of you have watched Valentin Barco play football week in, week out. You haven't. None of us have. We don't know if he's good. We don't know if he's bad. At best, we've looked at a couple of Twitter threads where people have compiled a couple of clips and you've gone on YouTube, Valentin Barco, 2022, 2023 highlights, and you've watched it and suddenly you're like, oh, he's going to be the best player in the world. Don't worry about it. None of us have any bloody idea. But I like the dessert he came out and basically said, I don't have no idea who Jean Pedro was. Doesn't matter. Um, so, you know, if Deserby can come out and say this, basically someone who is semi being anointed as one of the most prodigal managers in history uh, in, in the current situation comes out and says that and is honest, then wonderful. Dagan's putting in the chat, I've watched whole games. Dagan, you are the one person. You are the one. Um, I would bet a lot of money that there is no more than one other that's listening to this right now. But the quote was, yeah, I didn't know anything about Zhao before it came to us. I love Zhao Pedro and I know his potential. I know how he can improve and become important for us. I'm pretty sure he added something else to that quote that's not on the one I'm reading, which was like, it'd be great if he wakes up in the first half and starts yeah. playing as well as he does in the second. Which kind of what we talked about. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, he's just, he is a phenomenal player and I think it's it's easy to forget that he's that young and but he's so experienced he's actually one of the most experienced players that we have in terms Watford of captain right Watford captain played in the premier you know played in the premier league i think the other day it was his 50th 50th premier league game the other day against west ham or spurs so i mean he's he's unbelievably experienced and you know he's uh, he's getting better and better and better uh someone who isn't at the moment and form is very temporary. I don't think there's any doubts about longevity here, about uh, long-term talent, long-term opportunity and upside. There's no doubt here in most of our minds. 
Evan Ferguson's been really, really off it lately, isn't he? He has. And I can't quite put my finger on it because he inevitably, and we talked about this earlier in the, in the season, inevitably for someone who kind of burst out of the blocks last year, James, that's a fantastic point. We'll come on to that in a second. But for someone who burst out of the blocks last year and would have been a bit of an unknown for Premier League defenders to face, his expectation level went through the roof almost immediately because he's straight into the Ireland team. You know, he immediately becomes Ireland's next, like, great hope. Oh, they're, they're non-stop like, you know about I mean? it. Like, it's just, you know, and a summer of speculation and people going, oh, you know, it's the next Alan Shearer, it's the next £100 million player, all of this. Inevitably, there's going to be a dip after that. Like, there just is. And I think he's obviously struggled with injury. I don't know whether it's something more, because his demeanour isn't the same. Like, when he first broke into the team, he was really, as you'd expect, trying to impress, covering every blade of grass. And he just doesn't seem to be. He's sort of moping around a little bit at the moment. And I don't really, I can't really put my finger on it. I mean, it's bizarre because he's still, obviously scored that goal against Forrest when we really needed a goal. Yeah, but he hasn't scored since then. He sort of conjured that goal out of nothing. Um, And he nearly did it against West Ham. Similarly, getting the ball in quite a tight area and fizzing it a couple of inches past the post. So it's frustrating because he's still, he's kind of got that still there, but I don't know what it is. He's just definitely, something about his demeanour is not the same. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I don't know what it is. And it's it's not that he hasn't been getting quite as many minutes lately as he was earlier in the season. There's 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 one aspect there. Um, and he's been coming on as a substitute in the second half a decent amount of these games. But he has been given a chance. He's been given chances in a lot of these games. And it's been a long while since he's he's found the back of the net. And I don't know whether there was a, a number of games through maybe a month, two months ago, where it felt like he was getting completely bossed out uh, against teams that were really clogging the centre of, of the pitch. And that meant it opened opportunities for the, the Jao Pedros of the world and and, and whatnot. Um but it's it's problematic for him, a player that you really want to have that confidence um, at his age. A goal feels very, very, very important to him. Yeah. Um, and and hopefully, hopefully he can get that. This is why Deserby started him against Stoke. I think Deserby really wanted him to get a goal against Stoke. Yeah. Um, and it was a, a bit disappointed, disappointing that he wasn't able to do that and, and didn't really show up much at all. Um. Hopefully that changes. Outside of that, I mean, it's pretty much all good news. I still think the only other question mark I've got on the current eleven is 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 oh um is uh, Buenanote who was absolutely manhandled by some of the big Stoke players yesterday as well. But let's take a pause. Our fearless leader, Daddy, uh, main teacher, non substitute teacher is back. Uh, there he is, Josh. Hello. Uh, Hello, how are we? We have managed to not get cancelled in the last 47 minutes and 25 seconds. So there's still time. There's There's still still time. We were we're on the we're sort of talking about the the end, we're sort of towards the end of the Stoke game. We have actually covered stuff in a linear in a linear fashion this week as well, actually. 
Fair um, so yeah, we've just talked. We've just talked about Evan Ferguson and his his struggles. Um, definitely not the same. Not looking like the same player that he's been. And we're just talking about Buenonote being slightly obliterated by some of Stoke's more physical, more physical players. And Adam was just saying he's the only one. The kind of the, the slight question mark around. You know, when everybody's fit. You know, where does he? Where does he get a look in? Josh, you you were at both you were both West Ham and Stoke. I was, I was. What did what did you see from the stands on on some of these lads? Because I know you got some why. takes on Lalana as well. <laughs> yeah, that's why when I got back just like two minutes ago, I was like, I really want to hop on if you're still on because I I was at both, and there's a couple of things that I noted from being in the ground that other people may not have got from highlights, especially with the FA Cup because it's so hard to like get reliable streams with the FA Cup um West Ham first and foremost uh, Robin have you been to West Ham before at the London I have Stadium been. it's just not it's just not a football ground yeah it's not um for anyone who's been there uh, you're not hearing anything different but for those I can see Dagan in the chat for those US listeners or people who haven't had the luxury of going there yet uh, it is comfortably the worst stadium I've ever been just don't for a just footballing spectacle My no I, I wouldn't go again um, for the atmosphere, the atmosphere was tremendously bad. Uh, you, it was just bad all around. The pitch was miles away. It was like, it was like a glorified ultra deluxe with team. Like, <laughs> no, the thing is, like, did you ever go to Upton Park? Uh, no, I didn't. Like, is, I did. It, yes, it couldn't be. Like Upton Park was one of the most absolutely mental hostile, atmosphere there. Like hostile places to go. Because you're right up, like you're right on the pit. Basically, you know, it's one of these kinds where you're literally you're right up against the pitch. After part was fun. All the bridge. bubbles come out. It's chaos. It yeah, feels like you're like, in like a coliseum. Yeah, it is. That's what it felt yeah. like. And say so the last time we went there was under Poyet, where he made some really bizarre team selection. We were three 0 down after about two minutes, um, and we lost six 0 I think in the end. Um, but it was it is it was one of those games. It's one of those places that as an away team and as an away fan you just didn't want to go to and now you've got the total opposite which is you know it's quite almost what seven they're massive nearly seventy thousand, isn't it something so, like that yes yeah, somewhere and there's around. no atmosphere it's, like it's no- about 20 minutes from where i grew up uh that stadium i've driven past it a number of times um it's basically like on the old sort of marshland there it used to be nothing there just like swampy and i think it was better when it was a swamp um <laughs> It was like, all right. I went there for the Olympics as well. It was a good. It was good for the Olympics. I can. But, um, I can imagine for the Olympics. <clears throat> I literally said to Brit, "It looks like a good, like Olympics venue, but for the because you've got a good, yeah, not no, not for football, hundred percent not. So, yeah, the atmosphere there is dreadful. But Josh, we we talked about we talked about before. Uh, I talked about my fury for the West Ham game and how much I despised it, and you quite liked it. You were there. What was the outside of the crap atmosphere? What was the vibe? It was your birthday, she's a bit unfair. So, one, it was my birthday, so I'm biased because I'll consider the clean sheet a genuine birthday gift. But when you looked at their 11, barring Kudus and whoever the other one is that's gone away, can't remember who the other one is that's gone to uh, <coughs> AFCON, I thought that. It was as close to as like a strong side as you could get for West Ham. Like, well, it was they were missing Pakatai, weren't they? Who's like their best player, but 
Yeah. But they're sixth place, right? They're sixth place. They've just dicked Arsenal and Liverpool. Was it Arsenal and Liverpool back-to-back over the Christmas period? It was definitely, definitely Arsenal. Arsenal. Definitely was Arsenal, it? yeah. There was one of them before that. It was a big side that United, they beat 2-0 they beat, as well. They beat, Man United at home? Uh, they, beat West, they beat Arsenal 2-0, Man United 2-0, uh, and then got beat by Liverpool 5-1 in the Cup. So probably not that one. It was the United-Arsenal back-to-back 2-0 wins. Um, is beating United a thing now? Not really. No, probably not. But, but yeah, I thought I that their, their team was good. Their eleven was good. Yeah, they're missing one or two. But like everyone in the Premier League is missing one or two every season, right? Like that's the expect. Like, yeah, that's, that's the expectation. True. The amount of times that any team in the Premier League over the last twenty years has had been able to put out their best eleven, it's you know it's not a lot, right? There's always someone strain something. Um, so they were, for all intents and purposes, a very, very, very strong side. And we were the quite literal definition of a hodgepodge football team put together. Uh, I mean, for the last 20 minutes, we just had Van Heck, Esther Pinion, who had barely played a game of football in six weeks, and Jack Hinshelwood at centre-half in a back three. Um, it was just, it was just a, such an incredibly makeshift side. And not only did we take a clean sheet, which is really nice to just get that monkey off our backs. Deserby didn't seem to give a shit, by the way, which makes it a bit funnier. But I think why I enjoyed it so much is that we beat the shit out of them. Like, we yeah. were the better team from minute one to minute 90. That's why I was annoyed. I know. That's a three-point performance. <laughs> it was a three-point performance. But I just thought, if this is if this is what we can do with what we've just had to put out there, away at West Ham I just it was just really nice to like the mentality of this team like Deserby talks about mentality a lot and he says it a lot cooler than me too but he (laughs) his accent makes it sounds a lot cooler than mine but he talks about mentality and like soul all the time and like for that team to go out there outfitted as they are to put in that performance and frankly, do everything but score the goal. I was, I, I just thought it was a really good performance, barring the, the no goal, which I agree yeah. with. Um, yeah, that's why I quite enjoyed it. And we didn't lose, which is always nice. So that's not losing on pretty my much, bike, yeah, a bonus. You've echoed pretty much what I said. Which was, no, yeah. you guys have got... This is this is basically as close as you can get to describing the difference between glass half full and glass half empty. And I've definitely... Yeah. There's no prizes for who's on which side of that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what was the um what was the Stoke takeaways outside of just being just an absolutely wonderful place? Stoke, so I but I the last time I think obviously the last time Brighton were at Stoke was just last year, of course, in the same competition. But the last time I was at Stoke was about ten years ago when we went. They cut third round, right? Yes, and they Lost beat three nil. Three nil. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh and they beat the crap out of us and they were the much better side. They were the Premier League side and they looked like it at the time. Um, and it was an alarmingly different world they're now living in. Um, they had, I know the cameras didn't cover it, but you've probably seen the pictures. Well, I mean, hell, the one I sent to you guys, like their oh, entire yeah. their entire West or East stand, I can't remember which one, like their entire, one of their sides was totally empty, like just my, empty. My missus looks on TV and is like, why is no one there? Because it's whole thing. Yeah, because uh, <laughs> it's like there was a whole bulk of their other side stand empty as well to give a gap between us and them, so like they couldn't, they weren't so close. 
but they'd filled it out and Ross was right behind me, Robin, and we both clocked it within about eight seconds of each other. And I was saying it to Britain. He was saying it to whoever it was who was behind me. And we were both like almost parroting each other. And they were like, those bastards have put everyone in that specific set of area because the TV cameras pan right to that yes. spot. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. it looks like a nice full stadium and everything else was just red seats, except for a little like, corporate box below the TV really area. They announced the attendance is like 17,000. It was shocking. I don't like, know. Yeah. Corporate box at Stoke is like getting the extra leg room on. <laughs> it was jet. 55 pounds. Like a, it's a false economy. It was 55 pound a ticket and they are advertising them outside before the game started to see if anybody wanted to come yes. in for 55 quid for the full <laughs> experience. But we were saying we, we had a did like uh, the op- opposite of West Ham. Stoke came out and they tried to play football and yeah, that was decent. nice. That was it was so, a hell of a game, weren't it? I'm it was surprised a proper... they didn't come out to watch them. They were a decent, decent team. It was kids for a quid, everything. They they were trying to fill up that stadium. Kids for a quid, corporate box was fifty-five pound. I don't know what the regular <laughs> tickets were, but I would imagine they were cheap because ours were, right? Like they were I think they were fifteen quid. It was fifteen quid. We were you, like, you don't get a hot dog and a beer in an American stadium for fifty-five. So No, exactly. Like in most Premier League team, like in most most football stadiums, not even Premier League stadiums, right? Like you'll be going to crew and you'll still be paying more like to get a shit old burger there. But like it was it was wildly empty. I couldn't believe it. Um and it's even weirder given as you say, how good the game was and how much they really went for it. Like, fair play to them. Like, I know they didn't really score more than one goal. They scored a penalty and it was an unfortunate proper, like, FIFA scumbag own goal. But, like, yeah. they were... They went for it all game. Like, they could have had a couple of other good opportunities. Like, Wesley yeah. forced a really good chance. Uh, there was one or two the others. first half that went just past the post, didn't he? Mm-hmm. Like, when he kind of spun, spun another shot. I was getting a bit nervy. Then and we talked about how the, the first half and the second half were completely different and, and that pattern. Uh Josh, who was your man of the match and why was it Charles Pedro? <laughs> uh, it was Pascal Gross, actually. That's um, very good, wasn't he? Two because assists. he just can't stop. He just doesn't stop. And there was times towards the end of the game where we were clearly just like all but in neutral at this point. We were done. Like it was time to just like chill out and he was pressing and he was proper mouthing off at Lalana and Welbeck to press with him. And like he did, and Can they Lallana did win and they press? won. Well, they won the ball back and Lallana they caused like an opportunity. Point, I think. But yeah, <laughs> poor Lalana. Um, he is, but I, I have to say, I said, say, I thought Grice was, it just seemed to be everywhere on, on the TV coverage, just seemed to be popping up absolutely everywhere. Um, he, I mean, he is, yeah. I do want to cover one thing. I read. This is the main reason I wanted to hop on before you hopped off. This is the one thing. Is I it really to do the ad read? About. This is to do. No, have you talked about our best friends at Green King? No, we haven't. We waited well, for you. We knew, we knew you'd appear. <laughs> the green, the green lantern, like the Green King siren. <laughs> well, we uh, we don't have a January read. So uh, whenever you uh, want to go and watch the football this week, this month, uh, which albeit isn't for the next like two weeks in a Brighton perspective, but. Whenever you would like to go and watch the football, go to see it at our friends Green King Pubs. There is say hello. There is there's a there's Carabao Cup semi finals on this week. Should be a good show. There shot. you go, you see. You and go you've down. got a full game week over the course of two weeks. So if you want to go down there and watch some football, this is not the best ad read in the world, but we haven't been given one yet. So just go down there, say hello, have a beer. <laughs> 
watch the football, have a good time. It's a and new year. The good year. thing about the Carabao Cup is you don't really need to watch it. So you can have like a lot of beers and then it doesn't matter if you like miss half of it. Exactly. Yeah. It's ideal. Um, no, this is what I wanted to talk about. Adam Webster came on yesterday. First of all, I thought he was excellent at West Ham. I was really worried when he went down. I was yeah, like, Jesus he was. Christ, like, it's the end. Like When he went down, I thought it was all over, and then he said it was cramped, thank God. Uh, Adam Webster yesterday, don't know how much it came across on screen, but he very much for that last 15 minutes or so played as a central defensive midfielder. And I really like that idea because everything that is wrong with Adam Webster is not nullified because it's always going to be there. But everything that we see that's wrong with Webster in the Deserby system is really helped out by playing in a central defensive midfield John Stones-esque role. And it is not a coincidence, I think, that him and Pep view the game so similarly and frankly have copied each other for quite a long time in different ways. Those inverted fullbacks that Deserby threw out there in Sassuolo all those years ago and now Pep got all the credit for it in, in the UK football scene but Deserby had been doing it for a season beforehand and Pep went out and said that it was that system that he liked. Um, this is one of those things that I I just really like the look of it. He looked really comfortable and if there's anything that we know Webster is good at, it's carrying the ball forward and finding the pass in the manner he does. Um, and I thought he looked really good, albeit against a tired and beaten Stoke side. The fact is he was put there on purpose, right? He didn't just accidentally find himself in central defense and midfield for 15 minutes. So Deserby must see something there that's worth giving a go at. And I would just like to hear your thoughts on that idea, given what we've talked about with Webster and whether there's a future here for him. It was it was something different yesterday. Well, I think especially when you consider that Belabor is clearly not ready, certainly based on his last few appearances. And you know, there, there's seen some talk on social media about how we should be looking in the in the window to get in as a bonus another central defensive midfield player who probably wouldn't get an awful lot of football, in all honesty, but you want someone there as an option. And I'm absolutely not against it being Webster. I agree with you. His attributes of he can pick a pass, he's comfortable carrying the ball. And actually, as you say, a lot of his defensive nervousness comes from the fact that as a centre-back, you have no one behind you. So I think that can sometimes get in his head slightly, thinking if I, you know, if I have a West Ham at home moment here, we're in big trouble. So actually having the luxury of being, okay, I'm not the last line of defence. Actually, I'm not against it at all. Uh, it's a weird one because I'm, I'm confused as to why it's suddenly being tried when you've just got Jakob Moda back, who basically will play in that position uh, unless you want to lob him out of left wing backs like we did yesterday or left midfield. Um and that's the guy who you sort of want alongside Billy Gilmore, probably. Um, but I wouldn't hate to have another option. As you say, may maybe it's a, a, a situation where some expectations have been managed around the January transfer window. You, you aren't bringing someone in, or maybe they wouldn't get the game time, Robin. Um, and deserves you had to go, all right, let's come up with a slightly different plan here. Uh, I don't know. As you say, 
when you're playing about with Stoke in the second half of the FA Cup, it's not the best litmus test. But let's see it again. Let's see it again because there's a football player there um, and it would be a shame to not have him play. But you cannot, cannot break up Dunk Van Hecker. They're too good now um, to, to, to not have them play. If they're fit and not banned, they're the centre-back pairing. Um, and and it'd be a shame to not use Webster because, as we said, there is a football player still in there. Dunk adores Van Heck, doesn't he? Don't know if you saw his post-match interview, but he's in, he's in love with the boy. He just was so he was so complimentary of him. He was talking about the fact that he's never seen anyone in his entire career make as much progress as quickly under any manager ever as Van Heck next to him. Like how much of a joy he is to play alongside. Like he was just gushing about him. Like which is obviously incredible. Like it's the run he made against Stoke yeah covered it I don't know if you've covered it already but he had a bit he had a shaky first half and that second half he came out and redemption arc like within 45 minutes because that run to then play that pass as well into Jao Pedro it was decent pass really good pass yeah incisive stuff like for a centre half and I know that's what we want to see right but it was He's becoming quite a footballer, ain't he? Like we were t- so bad, we were talking about him in the summer of just like offload, load him off, get right. rid of him. That's why we don't earn <laughs> millions of pounds as a football manager. Um, I think they probably pay a fair amount to have us not involved in any way. So <laughs> I'd uh, imagine uh, probably quite the opposite. Was. Yeah. Um, I was going to say, I think the Webster thing is also a good shout because I actually controversially don't think we're going to sign as many players in this window as the fans would like. Well, Tony Maybe Bloom came out today and said, and who knows if this is just smokescreen BS, whatever. We're always on the lookout. We may well do some recruitment in January. That's but it. Who knows what that but means. Was, that, that's maybe that's like just Barco. I was looking at it in the context of the Europa League squad, right? Because like, if you're going to sign someone or sign any sort of big players, presumably one of the big draws would be us big in the knockout stages of the Europa League, right? If you don't attract a player in January. But if you look at our Europa League squad, right? We've got... I was looking at the convoluted rules of what you have to have to make up a squad, right? So currently, we have one place vacant. So we've only named 24 players. You're allowed to name 25. So we have one free hit. So if you sign Barco, in he goes. We've got a spot for him. After that, it becomes essentially one in, one out. So we would have to, if let's say we sign two other players, right? For argument's sake, we have to find two players in the existing team that can drop out. And within that, it can't be March. March has to still be in the squad. He has to be in that 25 because you have to have four players train for at least three yeah homegrown quota yeah first birthday so we only have four we've got mcgill dunk march and hincherwood so march has to be in so we can't take march out so you're looking at two players to drop out if we sign you know let's say we sign you know another wing back or we sign a striker or an attacker or whoever it might be you then there's then a big conversation to say okay who's going to drop out well it's obviously Mahmoud Dahoud 
The <laughs> hood is gone for sure. By the way, I don't know if you talked yeah. about that. By the way, but well, a little bit. Having, but then you're having a conversation around. Okay, does Lamptey go? Does if Lallana, he does, Lallana I would say go? if they decide that Webster's a thing, Balaba goes online. It's interesting, isn't it? So I think people, people are talking about this in the chat at the moment about Balaba going out on loan. Um, yeah, but it is maybe the vibes of Van Hecker here. I should future. also I'll also add that if you want to fit, so at the moment Moda and Enciso aren't in. So I don't think to, you have to register in CISO because he's easy twenty one. I think he's his age one. You'll have to register him. He didn't get enough years at the club before, so he's he's not in. So you'd have to find a spot for him. So if you say if you want Moda and Enciso, who I'd argue that probably everyone would want both of them in. So let's say Barco's coming. So you've got Barco, Moda, and Enciso to accommodate. One of them can go into the free spot, so that's fine. So you then got two players that are going to need to drop out. Don't and that's the ball. Do you need to register Barco? Yeah, I think so. Because he's like, what is he like? I think if he's coming from non, I think it will be as a non-EU as a foreign player. I don't think he can go straight in. Hmm. Well, I think that will be Dahoud gone, and I think it'll either be Bonanotte or Balaver. One of them will go on low in this season. Lamptey, I, I mean, like Lamptey, I mean, they can still be around playing the Premier League, right? But just not in the Europa League. Um, well, Dahoud seemingly can't play anywhere, any game. So, yeah. I mean, they can't make it on the coach to Stoke. Lallana's hardly, hardly played any Europa League games, has he? I think he came on in that Marseille game, in the home game for 10, 15 minutes. But has he played in any of the others? I don't think don't so. I mean, there's not there's not a better player for five minutes of football than Adam Lalana, but there's not a worse one for the additional eighty five. <laughs> He's so glorious for those five. I if I had to get like if I had to lay my money on it, I reckon Barco might be the only one that comes in. Mm-hmm. I think more than that personally. I think one more. Are we counting this new Mazilu fella as a as a no new... excluding him? <laughs> okay. I think he's probably going to be going out, isn't he, again? I think they were already yeah. talking about him going back out on loan somewhere. Yeah, Barco can be a, James said, can he be registered an exchange student? Yeah, he, uh, intern. I think we can have him in as. Yeah, uh, yeah. intern. Touching on this point, though, the other thing that, that Tony Bloom came out and said in, in, in an interview was um, the middle of February, he expects every single injured player to be back bar solid March. Which is also then, if you sign two, three extra players, how are you keeping everyone happy? Yeah, well, I mean, as we've talked about the the quest for more um, more European games, we've talked about the FA Cup. There's a lot of games here. I don't think you need to worry about not fitting people in. There's going to be so much rotation. By the way, getting these players back, it's not like we're done with injuries for the season. Suddenly, like everyone has a clean bill of health for the rest of the season. There's going to be a whole bunch more injuries. We're going to lose more players, and we're going to have to. We're going to be talking in four months, and we're going to. There's going to be some rando playing that hasn't played a minute of football that we're suddenly talking loads about just because but that doesn't happened. even exist yet. We haven't built. It doesn't them. exist. It doesn't exist in this yeah. reality. Yeah. Was it Hinchy or Kavanagh that came on yesterday? Late. Hinchy came on and. Pepeon came on. I'm not okay with Hinchy and Hinshelwood being. Neither am I, but Hinchy looked very tidy for the space of eight minutes he was on. Everybody around me was like, huh, he has something. Like every single person of all different groups of fans, everyone was just, he had 
He only must have had about eight touches of the ball. Came on in the 91st minute. But was yeah. it? Because when it was it, Duffus came on a few weeks ago and nearly scored an outrageous goal with like his first touch. In Athens. Yeah, that was it. So we've got this whole, this whole kind of. But he looked. Line. He was right in the middle of the park, and there was some of the like, like I said, I don't think he had more than eight touches of the ball in four minutes of injury time. But it was enough for everybody around us to go, hmm, that was quite promising like from a player that we didn't even know existed until you know four minutes ago so i mean again like that's another one off the off the conveyor belt that may well end up getting loaned out in january if he continues to progress i wonder if he'd be one of the ones that will go out to your championship or league one side so i'm not sure but they're they're coming through you've seen a couple of them go out on loan and go straight back out in this January window already. Sarmiento, right? Um, and who's the other one that's just done it as well? Who's just gone uh, to Blackburn? Yasin and Ayari's Zar- uh, done Ayari. Ayari left off. James Beadle's about to do it as well. He's and he's going up, isn't he? Graduating, yeah. yeah. So there's a, there's plenty of youngsters coming off the off the conveyor belt from the homegrown yeah. perspective too. Um, yeah, I think I think Belaber or Bonanotte will go out on loan uh, if everybody is starting to recover as they expect. I won't be surprised if, because by the end of January, we'll know if NCISO is proper back, back, right? Like they're talking about beginning of February. Deserby and the greater team will know. And he was already talking about loaning out Bonanotti in August, wasn't he? So I can see him going out if he's able to. And if he runs the Adam Webster CDM gauntlet for the next 21 days and decides that he's happy with it, I wouldn't be surprised to see Belaber go out either. Yeah, agreed. There was a there was an interesting thing on posted on Reddit uh from I think this was from the West Ham game. Uh it was 14 minutes in and it's it was titled Deserby gets increasingly frustrated. That was just the title of the clip. And it's just Deserby getting absolutely furious. Um, but then of course it's Reddit, right? So you, who knows if this is true, but you get a bunch of people come on and have various different expertise. Some Italian comes into the chat, uh, and Reese's reading his lips to see what he can say. And he's taking what he thinks the Italian that's coming out of Deserby's mouth is, and then translating it to English. And supposedly it was him saying he can't understand. He doesn't understand where the pitch is. Uh, and every response was basically saying it's definitely Bonanotte. <laughs> so so. I, I watched that happen and Brit was watching the game and I was watching Deserby react to that. I watched him do it. And I turned to her and I said, did you hear that loud crack then? Because the ground was so quiet that like I could hear that we, you could hear this loud like bang. And she was like, yeah, like what was that? That was Deserby hitting his chair so hard, like slamming down into his chair so hard it hit the back and was loud enough to echo from that side of the stadium all the way over to us. One, a damning indictment of the West Ham atmosphere. Yeah. Two, a, like a pra- an appraisal of like their acoustics there, I guess. And three, like the London Stadium. And happens- three, Deserby's mental. That's taxpayer money as well. We're paying to fix that. Thing as well. <laughs> yeah, very true. Very true. Um, uh, or, or one one other thing. While we're talking about loud, annoying noises, 
it, it, you probably heard this in the stadium yesterday, just but on the TV coverage of the Stoke game for the final 10 minutes of the game, there was some absolute, sorry if this is your kid that I'm talking about, by the way, if you're listening, in which case I take this all back, some absolutely annoying little cretin that wouldn't stop just squealing for 10 minutes loudly next to where the sound pickup was for the stadium, just would not stop shouting. Did anyone else hear that? It was just endless. No, just in your head. <laughs> it wouldn't shock me. Yeah. Uh, it was no, I unbelievable. That's a hell of a way for Adam to find out he has tinnitus. Yeah. Yeah, and it's just a screaming boy as well. Yeah. I muted. I muted the last 10 minutes or so. Oh, absolute blessing for you. No, you must have just switched off as soon as this little little kid came on, just screamed for 10, 10 whole minutes. But yeah, that was the most annoying thing to come out of the Stoke game. Um, we've talked about pretty much everything, I think. We've yeah, been in the game gonna... now for what? Two longer? Think, the 21st what, is, is the game? Two weeks today. Yeah, Wolves on the 22nd, is it? 21st, yeah. I 21st, think. Yeah. Uh, it's Monday night football, isn't it? Yeah. Is it? What's no, it's the 22nd. It's it is 22nd. the 22nd. So it's Monday. We're Monday night football. Um, Wolves have been quite good lately, haven't they? They have. They're sneaking up. They're only just behind us in the table, aren't they? Yeah, it looks that way. They are, what are they, 28 points? We're on 31. So this is a fairly important game, you might say. Three wins on the trot for them. One 3-0 Everton, uh, rather at home to Everton. One 4-1 at Brentford, who just seems like everyone's whipping Brentford at the moment. And beat Chelsea 2-1, which doesn't really say much either. But... You know, you've got to win those games to get the points. Yeah. Uh, should be an interesting one. Yeah, it'll be a good game. It'll be a good game. And maybe and we've got a new face. The key thing is here is no FA Cup replay as well. That's right. the, that's the main thing. Yeah, that would have been awful. So we talked a little bit about the hell of having to do that again, but at least we wouldn't have had to go to Stoke again, which is something. Yeah, true. To answer your you. question, Adam, fourth round is the end of replays. Okay. Yeah, so, I'm telling you. Own goal at the end of the 90 if we're if we're about to tie a game. I'm not interested in the replay. Get rid. It's funny, me me and uh, one of the other lads in the chat that Robert and I share said the exact same thing and we weren't met with much agreement. Therefore, everyone else was right. <laughs> but we were both in the in the camp of like, no, I'd rather take a loss than a, than a draw. Not a get, like we don't need the games, frankly. <clears> but uh, that lineup said everything you need to know about how Deserby felt about it. He's very very serious about the FA Cup from day one. So yeah. fair play. Yes. Well, that hopefully the team come back fresh. They are again, according to Deserby heading out to Dubai to do a little, what, what are we at? I guess it's, would it be summer there? It's, it very warm, it's going to be warm anyways, Dubai. Yeah. Um, so that should it's be nice for them. Summer, yeah. Yeah. Maybe they'll pick up Henderson on the way back. He's not too far away uh, in Saudi Arabia. And uh, we'll see what occurs for the rest of the transfer window. If anything crazy happens, um, I suppose we'll do it. We'll, we'll hop on and do it a, a little podcast. But outside of that, we're going to chat to everyone after that Wolves game. And then we'll only have a week left, week-ish of the transfer window. So we can yeah. basically watch the Sky Sports reporter outside of the Amex get cold and have no news to report, which is always yeah. fun. You, you're talking about you're talking about the same Jordan Henderson that left the club that adored him and was his captain uh, and was a huge kind of LGBTQ progressive activist for that club. Yeah, no, we, he we, then we, went we, to we, Saudi. But he succeeded. Back to Brighton. He's done it. 
Yeah. Uh, there's pride flags in Riyadh now. Uh, I don't think there's a done. worse club in England he could come back to in terms of... <laughs> you, know what? you know where I actually think he'll end up to complete his villain arc? As a Sunderland boy, he'll end up at Newcastle. Could be, they, yeah. He would they're really, they're yeah. looking for a player in that position, aren't they? Yeah, that is the only, that is his, that'll be his villain arc. Complete. And it'll be, it'll ah. be like, I want to, I want to mend the rivalry. Yeah, basically. <laughs> I want to build a bridge. He's going to be um, on a float of Brighton Pride. Don't worry about it. He's going to be trotting out with the Lana and Milner doing a job. It's going to be fine. What a right. stand, We should end on that note, really, shouldn't yeah, we? Thank you, it. everyone. Much appreciated. We'll speak to you in a couple of weeks. <laughs>